Shalom. Welcome to Rivkush, a CJN podcast featuring conversations with Jews of color discussing all things Jewish. And I also want to say, welcome us back because we had a wee bit of a vacation slash hiatus. And so now we're back with season two. And to kick off season two, I am so pleased to have Joel Etienne, who I always also want to say Yaakov because of the signs. (laughs) So I'm going to tell you a little bit about Joel. Joel, he has an impressive, impressive CV, so I'm trying to condense it and we'll dive into it during our conversation. So let's start off with, he's originally from New Brunswick. He graduated with a law degree from the University of Moncton. Joel is also a TV producer and creator. He created and produced a show called Rising Suns. He's currently directing his first feature movie called The Rabbi's Daughter. Another aspect of Joel, I told you there's a lot, is he's very involved in his synagogue. It keeps him busy. And from what I understand, he's currently working on the beginning steps of merging two synagogues. And last but certainly not least, and I kind of alluded to it when I said Yaakov, you would have seen his signs in and around York Central because he is the candidate of record for the Conservative Party of Canada for York Centre. So welcome, Joel. That was a mouthful. I am so glad to meet you. How are you doing? I'm doing well. A little tired, you know, Monday morning, Monday afternoons, uh, you know, getting into the rhythm of the week. But uh, such a pleasure and an honor to be here in your presence. Thank you so much for having me. Well, Joel, you know, I've been trying to have a conversation with you for a while now because we we've sort of connected on Facebook eons ago when I was, you know what? And I just had a thought when I was at the beginning throes of my documentary, which I'm telling you, by the time it's done, I'll be like 90. (laughs) But maybe I need somebody like you to get on board with it (laughs) and take it out of the hands of the amateur. It's, uh, um, you know, television, film projects, uh, documentaries, it's always it's always a work in progress. And even when it's finished, you, you always you always wish you could have added to it. Right. So it's uh, yeah. it's it's always a little frustrating. OK, so so let's talk about that, because, you know, essentially you're a lawyer, you know, law and order and all that good stuff. I, I find law fascinating. So essentially you're a lawyer, but you've decided you've obviously made a conscious decision to go into entertainment. So tell me a wee bit about what led you to that. You know, it's all in the path of life. It's always one experience that leads you to another um, and an opportunity that leads you to another opportunity. Um, years ago, I think I started living with the mindset of just not saying no to crazy initiatives and crazy ideas. Uh, a friend of mine who was um, a founder of a, of a television network uh, at one point in time segued from uh, television drama that was produced and filmed in principally in Mandarin came to me and they they were putting together an English-speaking envelope um, and he had the idea of, uh, well, let's let's create a law show a little bit at, uh, you know, like Law and Order, etc. You're a lawyer. Um, let's let's make a, a legal show. And at that point in time, I, I felt that the, the genre was really tired. Um, you know, I mean, how many spinoffs of Law and Order do you have and how many police officer shows do you have? 
I mean, television was just rife with it. And I thought, I thought, look, I mean, I think there's, I think the Canadian experience of having the clash of cultures in in the Greater Toronto area that we have, uh, based on wonderful multiculturalism, is is really a set uh, a setup for much more interesting drama in 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 the in the range of diver in you know in the um, environment of diversity. And my my feeling was, let's not constrain ourselves with the legal format. We can use it. We can have lawyers in the show, for example, and we do right. But but life is much more multifaceted than the courtroom experience only. Um, and I thought let's let's just let's just widen the the boundaries of what television should look like, uh, and let's make sure that what we have is really uh, varied elements of our multicultural world speaking truth to each other and speak you know in in a position of power speaking truth to each other. Um, because what we want to do, and and I think we've achieved it in the Rising Suns, um, you know, our 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 drama, our English scripted drama that that we had a first season on Omni, we're we're about to start shooting a second season, further mm-hmm. episodes, and what we wanted to do that felt was different than other television shows was, um, you know, get away from tokenism and stereotypes. What you you know the the Hollywood formula for multiculturalism is, you know, the innocent, the funny immigrant kind who has uh, who, who needs the guidance of uh, the the quintessential uh, established uh, you know Canadian or American right. to give them guidance uh, yes. in terms of how to navigate the world etc. It's or almost the like a or the guide white savior kind of thing without actually saying it like I did. <laughs> yeah. It's a tired formula, and it's the formula of perfect strangers. You know the comedy of the 1980s with Bronson oh, Cho, and you know yeah. and it's always a right, and yeah. that's how it started, right? You know, and it's always yeah. you know it's always a derivative uh, of the theme, right? Um, and I thought that the, the genre is tired, and um, you know I'm, I'm fairly and always frustrated by uh, what the you know the major Canadian broadcasters put out in terms of multicultural fare, and it's not just me. I mean, you know, Russell. I remember an interview. I think I think it was on Q with Gomeshi when he was um, hosting Q uh, between Russell Peters and, mm-hmm. and Gian, where Russell Peters was really complaining about the fact that, you know, whether it's uh, Lil Mosque on the Prairie or Kim's Convenience, you know, the com- the, you know, the, the comedy genre, the, the ethnic community as being funny and innocent and, you know, again, with, um, you know, with, with this, the, the savior model of wisdom and guidance and intelligence coming from, you know, only one core corner of the discussion. And right. I thought, you know, I, I thought that, you know, to me, to me, the, you know, the greater Toronto multicultural community has, has evolved much more beyond that. There's much more maturity. And I think that, you know, and I think what we have on a daily basis in the 416 or in the 905 are mature voices speaking truth to each other. Uh, sometimes things, saying things that we want to, you know, uh, sometimes saying things that we need to hear, that we want to hear, sometimes that we don't want to hear, but it's a dialogue of mature community and mature individuals speaking to each other. And that's what I did not see on television or in movies. Um, and it's really been, for me, the, the, the guiding thread of, of the type of productions that we want to create. Right. Uh, and so we've, we've, I mean, you know, there is, humor, humor is always a good vehicle. There is humor in what we, you know, in what we put together. But at the same time, it is trying to keep that level of maturity and 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 that voice of equality throughout the dialogue uh, with the very communities that are speaking to each other. Absolutely. So, Joel, are you? I know your father, Gerard, 
Etienne, he was from Haiti, correct? Correct. So, so do you, do you, do you, is part of how you see yourself or experiences that you had growing up um, as a, as a child of an immigrant and as a Jew of color, did this form any of your, your work? I think it's central to everything that I do. Uh, you know, my father's human rights experience and my father's uh, experience as an immigrant. I mean, it was bilateral. My, my, you know, it was on both sides of the family. My grand, my father arrived in Canada in 1964. He was a political exile from Haiti. Um, he, he fled Haiti, uh, you know, for his life. Um, he had been involved in human rights in Haiti at the time. Uh, Duvalier dictatorship, the father's dictatorship, Duvalier, two Duvalier dictatorships, father and the son. Papa and baby and doc, yeah. involved. Uh, so Papa, Papa Dog gave my father lots of trouble. My father tried to give Papa Dog lots of trouble, and he almost, I mean, he, he, you know, he was, he was jailed, he was tortured, he paid a heavy price for it, then he was exiled. He arrived in Canada in Canada in 94 in Montreal. My grandfather was, uh, and my grandmother, both heroes of the French Resistance during the Second World War, uh, you know, fought the Nazis, uh, dreamed of a way to, to find, a, find a way out of Europe after the war, and ultimately made it to Canada in 1968 with, uh, with their six children so we we have the the minority experience the experience of persecution on on both sides of the family um and so certainly that's that's been a guiding thread for me um i actually i graduated my first law degree was from the university of montreal oh my apologies uh, i remember upon graduating oh that's okay that's fine that's great (laughs) um but 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 i went to to that law school because it, it 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 has a high degree of specialization in administrative law, government law, constitutional law, and certainly the reflex as a minority is to try to understand how 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 is it that we can that I can protect it, my family, myself, right. and and the minority communities around me, and have, and building these skills of, of protection, if you will, you know, you know, create you know, to create a shield around you. Yes, um, and it was a great school for that because it really is the school. Um, I mean, it, it is a school that is specialized in in that field because it was really the voice, um, the institutional voice of French-speaking Canada. And uh, all the constitutional reforms that Canada had, including the charter, really find their roots in that school. Okay. Um, and I remember graduating and my father told me, oh, absolutely. There, you, you would have no charter of rights or free and freedoms if, you, if it wasn't for that university, uh, both for the provincial the charter, charters of rights and the federal one as well. I mean, conceptually, it was an entire academia that was built around finding ways to advance the, the protective rights of the French-speaking factor in North America, uh, of the Quebecois and French Canadians, but at the same time, you know, uh, learning learning their tools of trade was obviously useful for other minorities as well. Absolutely. Um, and even though it, even though it happens to be a very conservative school, uh, I wouldn't say that it's a school that that has any type of sensitivity uh, at the time, certainly uh, for minority or minority rights. But at the same time, it was a good school in terms of learning the the, the tricks of the trade, if you will. So I'm certainly grateful for that. My father, you know, made it a point to make sure that I. I understood that um, the skills that I got had to be redistributed, right? You know that uh, that I was that you know that I dedicated my life to as much as I could, do as much pro bono work that I could, and helping the the widows and the orphans. And in that context, really, it's the same theme. Whether it's in my law practice, mm-hmm. 
um, or in the media work or in the political work, it is it is the idea of advancing uh, opportunities and advancing uh, the rights and the emancipation of of, of minorities, whether it whether it's uh, Chinese Canadians uh, who are who are fighting for you know pro democracy rights in terms of fighting this Chinese Communist Party, whether it's uh, visible minority rights, uh, religious rights, uh, community. It, there's always that theme for me. So whatever the project is, whether it's television, uh, uh, writing, uh, or the law, that's really you know that's right. been the guiding. So is that that mm-hmm. that kind of then explains why um, you also went into immigration and really built up your immigration practice was because of that giving back and making you know sure i mean you know it's it, it's it's a fascinating it's a it's a fascinating reality but um you know having the proper any any burgeoning or new community in the country needs <laughs> needs good immigration counsel right <laughs> true you true know? and what's fascinating for me, fascinating for me is that if you if you speak to uh individuals in the jewish community whose you know families arrived post-war 19 you know 1950s 1960s and you hear their 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 settlement stories they're absolutely no different than the settlement stories of my caribbean clients or my chinese yes. clients or south asian clients or african clients really the same you 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 hear the same frustrations that they had the same difficulties the same dangers of deportation etc it's it, it's an amazing thing what i also find amazing is how quickly the trauma is forgotten Right. Uh, that's been a, a fascinating experience. You know, you just go you go one generation or second generation. And they have no idea yeah, what yeah, their yeah. grandparents or the great grandparents yeah. went through. Yeah. And, and, and even with with communities, you know, that I've worked with that I've settled over, you know, two decades. Uh, the challenges of today are certainly not the challenges of yesterday. You know, and it's and it's quickly put behind you, um, which is which is not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. Um, but but yes, um I started out in, in in what I call the heavy litigation of doing, you know, the big murder cases um, because it provides you with a set of skills when you, you know, when, when you can, n- not a lot of lawyers get to argue in front of juries, not a lot of lawyers get to build the experiences of, of having the pressure of having clients who face, you know, the, their entire, the rest of their lives uh, incarcerated. Right. Uh, so I wanted to, uh, it, it goes, it's a personality thing for me, you know, um, I I like to take on the big challenges. Sometimes I do break my teeth taking on the the big challenges. <laughs> but 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 I'm I'm that type I'm that type of person who wants to see what's on the other side of the curtain or, or what's on the other other side of the door. It's not always the smartest thing to do. I'll, I'll grant you that. But if you can go full circle and get that learning experience, uh, then I think it serves you much better. And then you're also not scared of the boogeyman and you're not scared of the unknown, right? Right. Um, and that's always been very important for me. Um, um, and those litigation skills that you know that I that I acquired um, in criminal law initially and early on doing doing being blessed to, to being blessed to being able to have those experiences. I mean, I was doing my first murder trial six months in wow. um, uh, after being. I would have been shaken like right? a leaf. You're right, you know, <laughs> too early, and you know, it was. It was it was clearly nuts, 
Um, and I don't know that I would recommend it to somebody else who would be calling me and telling me, is this a good idea? But, you know, but on the other hand, you've done it. You've faced your, your, your biggest fears. You've been successful at it. And then you have a wheelhouse of skills and experiences that I was very happy to bring to the immigration bar after that. Because um, at the time, a lot of the immigration lawyers were from the real estate bar because it's so intense in forms and, mm -hmm. and documents and paperwork. Uh, but they were there was certainly a minority of lawyers who were who, who came from the litigation side of the fence, more solicitors and barristers. You had some great barristers, but uh -huh. more solicitors. And I think what was needed at the time was some good barrister skills um, in uh -huh. terms of advancing immigration. Immigration, you know, immigration law, the, the pioneers of it, whether it's the Green and Spiegels or the Frank, you know, the Mendel Greens, the Frank Moroccos uh -huh. um, or the Lauren Waldman's, those are all folks that, that started Start, you know, really started pushing immigration law as a as a way to practice law in the in the late '80s. Uh, mid to late 80s. So it's it's a fairly burgeoning, new, at the time when I first started 20 years ago, 22 years ago, it was still in its ascendancy as a okay. as a practice, as a practice. The right. charter was, the charter was still new. I mean, the charter, yes. charter of rights, the, freedom, the rights of freedoms came up in 1982. Mm -hmm. So when you were practicing in 2000, 1999, 2000, 2001, still very you were fresh. still dealing with yeah. um, uh, a field of a field of law that was very very fresh. So it was right. a great opportunity for us to get in there and really to push you know to push the envelope. Yeah. Cool. So let's take it back a little pre-law. So growing up, you grew up then. You you you're originally from New Brunswick, but you grew up in Quebec, correct? No, not at all. No? I, 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 I my parents my parents, my parents found. My parents met and found each other in Montreal. Okay. Um, you know, my, my, my mother arrived in 68. Um, and, you know, M Montreal was, my father was a French academic. Yes. And, uh, but he was not a sovereignist. He was not a sovereignist. He was not a separatist. Okay. Um, that certainly was, you know, not, not akin to his values. Mm -hmm. uh, certainly in terms of the advancement of multi, you know, in Quebec, we, the, the term is, the, the term for, for multicultural community is allophone, right? You're neither francophone or you're neither anglophone. You're an allophone. You're an allophone, and 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 life for the allophones uh, in those days was, was not easy. Yeah, and we were really, you know, caught, you know, caught in that whirlwind of constitutional wrangling between the English and the French. Um, and, and and at the time, if you were a French-speaking academic, as my father was, there was really no place for you if you were a Federalist allophone in public affairs or in the public debate. Okay. Um, and really, you know, in order for my father to, uh, you know, I would say be loyal and faithful to his worldview and his view of what, you know, of Canada mm -hmm. uh, and what Canada should, should look like in the know, uh, 30, 50 years on, his his thing was, uh, you know, the, the only place where he found his, if you want, if you wish, his academic freedom as a good Canadian federalist was in New Brunswick. New Brunswick is the the ancestral home of the Acadians. Acadian, uh, yeah. French Canadians right, yeah. Who, are not, yeah. who, are, who are not Quebecois. Yeah. Um, they used to, they were called historically the French loyalists. Yes. Right. I remember that from and, school. Uh, that much I very, remember. They're very... 
right? So New Brunswick is, is 750,000 people. It's a small province in population, but almost half of the population is Acadian, Acadia, French Canadians. And they have a university in Moncton, which is really their cultural and, and, and political and sociological hub. And that's where my father found a home uh, in that French-speaking university so- where he became the uh, founder of the... Of the journalism school. So I was born and raised in Moncton. Okay. And I was there till uh, till the age of 18, where I left, All right. so where, where are... I left for, to go to law school after that. Okay. Yeah. So you're Acadian by way of, uh, by way of uh, so New Acadian. Brunswick. Yeah. Yeah. By way of, so... way of and adoption. Yeah. Yeah. So here's yeah. the thing. What was the Jewish community like growing up? And how did you navigate the Jewish community in New Brunswick? Well, the, the Jewish community in New Brunswick was very small. Um, it's, it was an ancestral community that had been there for, they've been there for generations. Um, Moncton at the time was, was, I would say 90% of the community were, uh, Lithuanian Jews, uh, who had been there for a very long time. There were a few families that had immigrated, uh, after the war, uh, Holocaust survivors. Um, and, and then a few outlier families, uh, such as my family who were really anchored by the university there. So it, it was certainly um, a, a good representation of, of 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 Greater Canada, if you will. That that little shul. Um, you know, we were francophones, but the shul was, I would say, ninety percent anglophone, English speaking. Okay. Um, you know, um, and 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 it was very very traditional. I mean, you had families who had been, for example, feuding since 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 you know since back since back in the day in Lithuania, where right. you know this family won't marry to that family yeah, yeah, yeah. it happened in the old country etc <laughs> uh, and, and so, <laughs> it was very very tribal that way but you know um, and and Jews who had um, struggled because I mean there had been serious anti-semitism historically in Atlantic Canada it wasn't easy for them um, but who had really learned to punch above their weight so Moncton for example had a Jewish mayor in the 1950s oh okay um, one of our more, one of our most famous uh, co-religionists was a gentleman named Reuben Cohen, who 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 is the founder of Central Trust, and he started out as a, as a you know he went he went to Dalhousie, became a lawyer, couldn't find work in the big law firms, and basically created his his, his own bank. Uh, and Central Trust eventually merged with Canada Trust and TD. So he's one of yeah. the you know founders of TD. Back in the back in the eighties, when I when I was being raised in Moncton, Reuben was the 10th richest man in Canada um, with, with uh, you know, his private jet waiting for him at the airport. But, you know, humble man, simple man, community person, greatest, greatest person on the planet. So, you know, I grew up with these Monctonians who had struggled, but who had really, really learned, you know, to punch above their, 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 right. their, their weight class. But how's the, um, you know, um, we, we, a little show of a families. Mm-hmm. Sorry, how was like the racial Sorry. diversity? Because when I think of the East Coast, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't, I, I know there's diversity there, but it hasn't always been, been friendly, shall we say, when I think of the East Coast, in particular, more so Nova Scotia. But however, what was it like um, in terms of that even? It's a fascinating thing. Um, uh, and, and certainly I should, you know, open the parenthesis to say that life as I understand it now in Atlantic Canada for, for people of color and minorities is not what it was when I was growing up. You know, um, the last time I was in Atlantic Canada and came back, I remember saying, you know, to 
to my spouse and friends, you know, um, the trauma of the past is really I'm dealing with the ghosts of the past, you know, that it, it's not the reality of, of 30 years ago is not the reality of today. And, you know, I, we sh- I should be very careful not to conflate both. But but if I'm going to be, you know, frank and honest and open about the history, I, I would say that um, you were dealing with a very complex society. The provinces are very, very different. So Moncton is a 40 minute drive from the Nova Scotia border. But the experiences that we had as racialized Jews in Moncton was incredibly different than the experience of racialized Jews in in Yarmouth, in Halifax, in Dartmouth, okay. in Nova Scotia. I mean, you do know that and that from an ancestral perspective, you have um, you know the African Canadian community of Nova Scotia that that hailed from you know the United centuries. States they from were, slavery. You know, yeah. became as loyalists. Yeah. They fought for a crown for the for, for king and country, um, and and in exchange for their loyal service, really got got treated very very badly uh, in terms of uh, I mean you know I I, I and and uh, you know I remember my family having you know very difficult experiences in Nova Scotia ourselves, um, but it but that border that was forty kilometers away was almost a shield to to us having the same experiences um, in Moncton, and it was very strange. So as a young person of color uh, in Moncton. I mean, I think there were four or five other kids that were racialized. Like and me. I bet you I bet you know um, their names. But, you know, sure, of course. I grew up with them. I love them. You know? <laughs> yes, because um, that's how I grew up. I can tell you their names, right? people around me. <laughs> You know, you know, we consider we consider you know each other family to this day. Yeah. But you know, I mean, you know, you, you everybody in town knew that if you were a kid of color, your father was probably a doctor or a university professor. So it, you know, the 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 reverse. We're a little bit treated like the the kids in the French Prince of Bel Air, if you will, right? You know, you go to the mall and you know they would treat you very well. They knew that you probably had a credit card in your pocket where you could buy things that you know that other kids wouldn't be able to because um, you know Moncton at the time was very blue collar, not very wealthy. In terms of the, you know, the the, the folks who who didn't have a uh, who who weren't integrated in the professions, and so there was, I would say, you know, in the city itself, perhaps a positive bias. Um, mm, interesting. And, you know, that was it was that experience. It was you know, it's very bizarre. But I mean, I remember, for example, you know, um, late seventies, my parents were wanted went to Halifax to buy some fancy furniture, and the plan was to go and sleep in a hotel room. And of course, as soon as we arrived at the nice hotel, and they saw my parents. The, the rule, the, you know, they, they had lost the reservation. And uh, I remember my parents going from hotel to hotel to motel to hotel. And, then, you know, we ended up sleeping in the car because, you know, they couldn't find wow. anything. That was a, a that was a typical experience of, you know, of, of an interracial racialized couple in Nova Scotia at the time. Right. right. So, you know, you still had that blended life where you know, past the little boundaries of your little circle of existence. Yes, you know, we saw, you know, what the worst of society had to offer. But, you know, do remember that there was a time in Nova Scotia where, you know, people, you know, racialized people, people of color wouldn't be able to, you know, sit where the white folks sat, uh, you know, at the movie theater. Yeah, it's a piece Um, of history that I think we forget about too. Yeah, sure. And so in terms of the Jewish community, it was very blended that way because, you know, um, um, you know, wonderful anecdotes where, where, for example, there was a, 
we, we had a, a Yom Kippur where one side of the community was fighting with the other side of the community, and uh, all all war you know war broke out between the the Lithuanians, uh, the Litvish Jews, and uh, you know at at Kol Nidre you know people are usually called and honored to carry the Torah, and uh, you know it was they were so frustrated with their internal fight that they decided that the only person that deserved to carry the Torah was my dad, right? Because he's not he wasn't <laughs> part it. of of. <laughs> The ancestral fight. So, and, 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 and it, you know, and it was a brawl of all brawls. I mean, people, you broken noses and bloody faces, oh and you know, they really goodness. went at it. And you know, my, and they decided that my father was the good guy, right? You know what I mean? So right. you have these wonderful experiences of multiculturalism, yes. where where the good aspect of multiculturalism comes through. But I also remember my sister and I went to camp, you know, to Jewish camp in Nova Scotia, where you know we weren't ready for the stigmas of what being black in Nova Scotia meant, what the experiences of other you know white Jewish kids had had with black kids, and I mean we were tortured for weeks on end. You know, it was oh. the, the, you know one of the you know one of the worst experiences of my life that I'm I can so recall, sorry. right? And without without actually being ready, without actually being ready for it, right? You know, uh, with no pre warning, no understanding that because you know, why would you? Uh, you know, go, go why would you? Because right? you grew up in a Jewish community, sure, you grew up as a Jew, you expect that wherever you go as a Jew, it'll be okay. So it is like a it knocks you off mm -hmm. your feet when you are faced with stuff like that. Never mind as a kid. We are very, very much. It was very, very interesting to me because you know we're a bit like the canaries in the coal mines, and the 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 diversity of North America, the regional diversity of North America, is something that we will feel more than others. Because I guess if you're white Anglo Jewish and you're in Michigan or you're in Illinois or in New York or in Florida, you'll have the same a similar you know same a, a standard of experience that is going to be similar within the Jewish community. Whereas our reality at that at that time was not the same, right? right? So, you know, it's one thing to be in Shul in Moncton, but, and, and which was fine being in Shul in Montreal was, Montreal was a great community as well in terms, you know, in terms of the acceptance of, of, of racialized reality because Montreal had a huge influx of Holocaust survivors after the war. So there was just this automatic sensitivity to, to the minority factor. Right. Uh, Toronto was really good. Toronto was really good. But then all of a sudden you find yourself in Michigan and you're like, oh, you know, and it's a four hour drive from Toronto and you expect you expect the same the same experience and no it's not the same experience yeah um and you know you you're in New York I mean I remember being in New York spent a lot of time in New York in the 90s you know and it was after the uh you know the race riots uh of, of the 90s as uh, it Bensonhurst I forget those riots etc uh and so you know you were you you could not uh avoid the sociological uh reality of what was going on on you know on the ground but at the right. same time i mean i remember so like, i remember being at lubavitch headquarters in uh, in brooklyn um you know late 90s um and and you know police presence on the street you know uh you know tension between the african-american community and the jewish community but you know i walk in my first friday night and what do you have you've got a black lubavitcher who's welcoming us in the synagogue too right wow. so yeah. you know there there there's so much multi-dimensional and nuanced realities, even, you know, in local realities that I've always been very cautious not to generalize, right? You know, 
Um, and to be careful not to paint an entire city or an entire town or yeah. entire community with one brush because it's, it's a really unfair exercise, right? I, I, yeah. I agree. I mean, if I painted New York with the experience that I had had fairly recently there, I'd probably never go back to New York again, you know, because it was Williamsburg. Some might say, well, you went to Williamsburg. But anyways, it was Williamsburg and I had a negative experience. But I have to recognize that that experience the negativity came from that individual and not the city, <laughs> right? You know, it, it, you know, it, when I've got my little Gabriella, who is, uh, you know, my wife is, my, my wife is is originally from Nova Scotia. So her ancestry is that same Lithuanian ancestry that they all have. Her father is from Cape Breton. He's an established professional in Halifax. And who's, um, wait, wait, and who's, what side Gabriella of the Lithuanian was, fight so is I've she got, on? No, no, they're, well, they're very calm, <laughs> her family. So they're, they're pretty neutral and happy with everybody. Her father, her father, father's the president of the show. The only fight he has is trying to get people to minion on a on a daily okay. basis. Also, oh, the uh, usual he's fight. The, uh, <laughs> he's 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 a courageous guy who tries to get who tries to get ten people to show up for show. That's his struggle. Um, you and know, that struggle and is real. He gets a break from that once a year when he comes to Toronto. You know, it is. It really is. And he gets a break from that. You know, once a year when he comes to, to Toronto for vacation. But you know, so Gabriella, blonde, blue eyes. To my great surprise, when this child was born, because my wife's got dark eyes and she's you know, dark yeah. Lithuanian, you know, she does not look sla Slavic at all. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, you know, I'd be, I'd have my little one who's, you know, two, three years old. And, you know, I'm in Michigan with her and I can, people, people look at her and know that she's racialized, right? You know, uh, yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, I, I Ann Arbor, Ar Ann Arbor or, or and they can tell right away that this, this, this kid is a quarter black, right? You know yeah. what I mean? And <laughs> it's that radar. And do, the, do, 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 the, do. the eyes of Right, the eyes of disapproval, right? You know what oh, I mean? Yeah. Um, and you feel you feel it. Mm -hmm. But but then but then I'd be, you know, in the subway in New York, right? You know, and people are cheering. You know, like people are happy to see her. They know yeah. what that means, you know? Yeah. Or in Miami, right? So it's it's so it's so it's so interesting where that regional difference, right, makes a difference. You know, wow, and it's always been part of my. You know, when I'm when I'm speaking to our fellow brothers and sisters, my whole thing is always, you know, you know, look to establish yourself in a place where you know you'll be the most embraced and most accepted. Because life is life is hard enough because we don't just have to deal with our you know ethnic realities. You have to deal with making a living and getting up in the morning and be Absolutely. you know being functional and you know and, and everything you know every other life challenge life challenge that you have to deal with, right? Absolutely. You know, getting your mask on or getting your shot. Pandemic, right? So it's a it's it, it's sociologically interesting. But in that context, for me, this is why Toronto was you know I would call it my savior, right? Okay. Um, Even though you I, went up I, north, I remember, I, sorry. Even though you're up north, sorry. Even though you're up north, you're kind oh, of well, you're kind of fake Toronto, me, okay? I, I, <laughs> Is there really a border at Steel's, right? But, but you know, I, I, you know, I think that's all talk amongst ourselves. I don't know, because I'm at Bathurst and Steel's. I'm at Bathurst and Steel's, and it's always like, oh, you live so, down south. You live down south. <laughs> I know, but I think I think that's just you know that's just a, a cultural, co you know, colloquialism. You know, I, I, look, I, I don't think it seriously, but but what I what I do take seriously was me, you know, finishing top of my class and absolutely yes. having zero opportunities, opportunities for work back home in New Brunswick. Mm -hmm. um, and also being, you know, 
having every door shut shut in your face in Montreal and then driving down the 401 in a $300 car at the time. And, you know, I knew, you know, when I started seeing the semi, the, the, the you know, the, 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 the semi trucks and looking up and seeing men, brown men with turbans driving these trucks. These yes. were jobs that people of color would never have in back in the day in Montreal or in New Brunswick or Atlantic Canada. You know, these good paying blue collar jobs that some are unionized, non-unionized. I mean, we had no access to that as communities, right? And seeing, you know, my first experience, like I'm driving down the phone one, I'm thinking, wow, look at this. Like it's possible. And I, and I, I, my, my, I, I landed at Bathurst and Bloor looking for the street where I could find my father, my, my, my best friend's uh, apartments that, you know, that you know, I crashed on his couch for three weeks. And the first, you know, police officer that I saw was uh, a Caribbean police officer. Wow. And that's not something that I would have seen in Montreal. Okay. And I was like, wow, you know, like this is where a guy like me can have his chance, in, right? Okay. And uh, no opportunities for work back home or in Quebec. But, you know, all of a sudden, my resume has echo. All of a sudden, you know, within three weeks, I'm interviewing everywhere. And I've got people making, you know, giving me real job offers with, you know, real opportunities for professional growth to make a living, etc. Um, so, you know, for me, that was my first 416-905 experiences that GTA, which, which you know, I mean, and if you look at the history of Toronto in terms of diversity and multiculturalism and integration of of um, of, of African African uh, Black Canadians, uh, it, it's always been historically, you know, the more progressive, you know, uh, mm-hmm. social, you know, sociological ecosystem in the country, right, uh, where people can can you know make their mark and advance in their lives. Um, so, you know, I mean, for me, you know. Not not that our society is perfect, of course. No, no, you know, no. But, but, no it, but for me, it was my it was my blessing. Right? Yeah, yeah, you've given me a whole other perspective because you know I was born and raised in Toronto, mm-hmm. and I obviously we see things from our own lens. And the way you've described mm-hmm. it has kind of made me re look at Toronto f- from your perspective. So I think that's pretty powerful what you said that you saw you saw it as opportunity and and the difference Toronto for the for the racialized you know maritimer kid was Degrassi you know I mean that's what we saw on television and you know I mean kids our age who were television stars who were congregating in peace and in harmony and equality with white folks um, you know that was that was the arc of hope and uh, that was not possible where we grew up dang well, you can't be a lot. Which is, by the, way, lot, but, yeah. by the way, but by the way, but by the way, but to be yeah. fair, but to be fair, you know, I, mean, I, you know, I was, I was in Moncton in January. I've got clients there. You know, um, the leaps and bounds has New Brunswick society evolved, right? Okay. You know, my, like I say, my experiences of thirty years ago, not the experiences of racialized kids growing up there. I mean, um, one of, you know, I, I went for a business meeting at uh, uh, one of, you know, the, the most, the, the most relevant. Uh, corporation in Atlantic Canada is the Irving Company. It's a huge company. Mm-hmm. 
um, petroleum, newspapers, pulp and paper, etc. You know, I get there at the first meeting and the most senior vice president there and the person basically in charge is, is, a, is a man of color. Like I would have never thought that that would have been possible, so you know, 30 progress. years ago. But today it's, 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 it's huge progress and it's a, it's a matter of fact. It's not even a question. You don't even think it's just, it is. It's a surprise to me. Exactly surprise, what I say about It's a surprise to me because that's what I experienced. Yeah. But it's not a but it's not a surprise to anybody that's living there. That's just there part of their go. daily routine, which is wonderful and beautiful. Yeah. So I certainly yeah. be very careful not to paint yesterday's world as today's world, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, when people ask me about you know my thoughts around Jewish diversity, and I say to them, I said my ultimate my ultimate goal, if you wish, is what you said. I want it to be that it isn't something that we strive for, something that is a struggle or anything like that. I just want it to be, it just is. Where where this is just like you said, it was, you know, for the people there, it's like, yeah, what's the big deal? This is just how it is. But but here's the, here's the issue, and this is what's really interesting, is that I always think that we're at the front lines of the next movement of what we see as progress. And mm-hmm. so I think people like yourself or myself will never be quote unquote satisfied, right? <laughs> uh, because the argument of, the, the argument of yesteryear was representation. You know, can we be at the table? So yeah, do you have black judges? Yes. Do you have black police officers? Yes. Do you have extremely successful uh, p- people of color in finance and in, in, in black all areas executive of directors, but right. Synagogue but, executive but directors. Here's the thing too, though. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But for us today, though, it's not just about representation. If representation means tokenism, then it's of no interest to us because that representation is no longer real. It doesn't mean anything because you could have a person of non-color in the job if the person of color can't have their voice, can't be heard, can't speak, can't participate, can't be, you know, can't be an equal participant at the table. So I think that, you know, the, the challenge of our generation or the challenge of today is to go, I think, beyond the idea of representation. It's to create meaningful representation where that representation is real and not tokenism and that's what makes it difficult you know it's not just about uh being in law but it's being able to advance law it's not being it's not just about making television uh, or movies but it's about advancing it making it beyond tokenism the same thing in the area of politics right um which ultimately you know keeps the challenge alive because it's really the next steps of multiculturalism Right. right. The final steps of multiculturalism is, is where none of it will ever matter that, you know, uh, it'll be Martin Luther King's dream that we're all judged for the contents of our character. There's no afterthought. And that whoever whoever the person is at the seat will have just as much sensitivity for, you know, for gender, for for color, for for everything else. And we'll have that 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 uber maturity. Right. That's right. the that's the you know, the ultimate goal. But to get there, you do have to have meaningful representation that's not tokenism. And so, you know, when I'm speaking with the judges privately of color, when I'm speaking to community leaders of color privately, because this is not something that we speak about too much openly, (laughs) then that's where I hear the grievances. Uh, You know, uh, I'm at the table, but I'm not being heard. I'm not being listened to. I'm not being able to participate. I'm very, very frustrated, you know? Um, Oh, yeah. And, and, uh, uh, right? You know, it's, it's 
not meaningful, right? And should I, should I leave? Should I go? And you know, should I be fighting on the outside and not on the out, not on the inside? And the beauty of it, though, is that this struggle um, uh, in terms of our community participants is widespread, which which means which to me means it's a good thing because if it's you know the judges complaining to me and you complaining to me and everybody complaining to me, then I understand that okay, well, this is where society is in terms of the ecosystem. This is where we're trying to push the boundaries, right? Right. And I'm not crazy here. You know, it's not me that's nuts, right? There's there's obviously, obviously there is still, a, you know, a lot of work to do, right? right. In terms right. Of, of being able to have a meaningful voice at the table. From award-winning journalist Marsha Lederman comes Kiss the Red Stairs, a compelling memoir of Holocaust survival, intergenerational trauma, divorce, and discovery that will guide readers through several lifetimes of monumental change. Marsha was five when a simple question led to a horrifying answer. She asked her mother why she didn't have any grandparents. Her mother told her the truth, the Holocaust. Decades later, her parents dead and herself a mother to a young son, Marsha begins to wonder how much history has shaped her own life. Reeling in the wake of a divorce, she craves her parents' help. But in their absence, she is gripped by a need to understand the trauma they suffered, and she begins her own journey into the past to tell her family stories of loss and resilience. Kiss the Red Stairs, available now wherever books are sold. So speaking of at the table, let's, you know, I'm not going to not mention your political career. So where are you today? What's, (laughs) (laughs) well, don't, don't really like, so, so where are you today? You know, I read the news just like everybody else. And I understand there was a, I'll, I'll say a kerfuffle, um, but you've subsequently resolved it if you want to delve into you can say as much or as little as you wish if you want to delve into what's going on with you in terms of because I I read your statement you said that you hope that racialized people and Jewish Canadians will still get involved or still support the conservative party and I want to explore what you mean by that statement dig into that a little bit deeper and tell me what are your goals what are your goals now look I mean I'm, I'm I'm very much still and will continue to be a party man, right? So, you know, I mean, if we're going to talk politics, I'll complain about the, the, the liberals, the new Democrats and the Greens all day long. <laughs> I don't know that that's fair to you or your podcast, right? Um, um, so I'm, I'm still very much part of the conservative family. Um, I would tell you that, you know, 99.9% of the conservative family are people that I embrace, you know, and, and who embrace me with, uh, with open hearts. I would also say to you... Um, this idea, you know, our our activities in community affairs and public affairs and in our professions, respectively, is also an, an intergenerational dialogue. So, you know, I can look towards the past or I can look towards the future. And, you know, in politics, I've spent, you know, countless, countless hours with the, with the youth of the Conservative Party, right? And, you know, I see, I see young people who get it, right? Who are not dealing with the struggles of the past in terms 
of you know arriving at a at a at a, at a level of discernment and understanding of you know how to be equal citizens uh, and how to and how to support their citizenry with with a, with a view of equality, right? And you know I think the only the, the the positive way to be involved in public affairs is really to look to look towards the future and to support you know that generation and. Um, you know, I remember the days uh, when I was in university and we had a phrase, we said it to bean or to unbean, right? Amongst ourselves. Meaning, do you, is it, is it okay to wear your yarmulke or are you going to get beaten up if you wear your yarmulke? You know, you, we were around Concordia and we're like, oh, no. you know, this is where you need to unbean, right? At this library, because somebody's going to come and beat you up wearing a yarmulke, right? Nice. You know, okay. um, and. And, and the geography of Montreal was very much like that. Do you bean or do you unbean, right? You know, wow. can you be an open, can you be openly be a Jew here or not be uh -huh. an open, openly a Jew here? And, and, and you look at, you know, the progression of university life for, for, Orthodox Jews, you know, decades, decades, decades on, and you see that there's been very little progression, you know, in the environment of BDS, right? Uh, where kids are still afraid to bean or to unbean. They're still afraid in political science classes to raise their hands and to say, no, professor, you know, I hope you don't give me a, a flunking mark because, you know, I happen to be a Zionist and I think you're completely wrong with what you're saying, right? right you know, right. Um, and, and, and in that context, you know, um, you know, I really look at this sometimes as as as, as uh, political life and party life as as life in shul, right? If you have a shul, you know that we'll have good days and bad days amongst each other. If you have opinions, right, we'll be fighting and this and that. 100%. But you you you, you got to preserve. You, you can't burn the shul down, right? You know, you need right. the shul, and you know. I would advocate always that Jewish Canadians and racialized Canadians need, we need this party. You know, this is, this is the party that says that BDS is wrong. This is the party where in, 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 you know, our kids can feel arrest, uh, you know, can, can go into the youth groups with non-Jewish kids and feel, and feel at home and feel protected and, uh, and feel loved. So, so, you know, well, well, but at the same time, remember what I said before, you know, representation can be tokenism. So, it's really navigating this really fine line. It's, tricky. And it's so hard tricky. for all of us. Yeah, you know? it is tricky. Of, it's so tricky where, you know, something, you know, something's wrong and you want to, you know, you got to pipe up, you got to pipe up. But at the same time, you don't, you can't burn the institution. You know, you've exactly. got to preserve the institution. Exactly. And, and, and that's party life. Now, without getting it, you know, without getting into the, you know, the latest chapter of, uh, of, of my issues in public affairs, because, you know, obviously, you know, I mean, you read the newspapers and you, 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 you <laughs> <laughs> and you'll educate yourself if you want to, but but what, but but I'm happy to have a greater conversation uh, about about party life uh, and to say the following. You know, in terms of transparency, in terms of um, diversity, Canadian institutions have greatly improved over the last couple of decades. Um, yes. There's accountability through the charter, etc. Um, you know, uh, unions, non-union environments, public companies, private sector companies, government. You know, government in terms of the civil service, etc. You know, as a lawyer, I hear all the headaches. People come to me, and I certainly know it's not a perfect mecca, right? But right. you should know that political parties don't have the same type of legal accountability that that every other Canadian institutions have, and that's just the law. That's the law how it is. Political parties are like Hashem. They, you know, the courts do oh. not oversee them at all. They are more powerful. They are more powerful than Parliament, right? Oh. 
You know, I mean, you're, you're the prime minister in question, period. You know, they'll ask you questions. You've got parliamentary right. committees. There's a level of oversight, you will, that political parties, all political parties in Canada don't have. Okay. They are that explains a lot. extremely powerful and they do what they want. So the idea, well, oh, go to court, this and that. Yeah. Well, you, you know, no, there is no, there is very, very little protection and oversight. Okay. And, you know, I look and, and, and that explained, you know, and that will explain to you Judy Wilson Rabel. That will explain yeah. to you Selena Chavez. That yeah. will explain to you Anime Paul. Yeah. It's not about a specific party, okay? It's about the construction of the parties and the uh, institutional power that they have versus every other type of organization. Um, okay. And, you know, that's a democ- that's 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 a, re- a legal reality in our democracy. Interesting. Okay. I and so, you know, where where am I where am I where am I at with my party? I'm at peace with yes. my party. But I should also okay. tell you that I, you know, um that again, you know, in terms of my party serving the Jewish community, I'm very yes. grateful for for how it has it has been there for for our community, um, the Conservative Party of Canada. I'm also absolutely you know convinced that I look at my level of personal freedom um, that I've been able to achieve in my life. I've been able to achieve it completely in the in the private sector. I've got genius friends, people who are ten times smarter than me, racialized individuals who've been in the civil service, who've been working in other institutions and who really, you know, hit walls that I never had to hit because, you know, for 20 plus years, I've been my own boss, you know, and I've been able to make a living. And as long as my clients are happy and as long as I serve them professionally, you know, in accordance with the rules and ethical standards that you're supposed to, then I have my freedom. Um, And and that's a freedom that came to me with the private sector. And I see the the benefits of private sector life for me, uh, for many other racialized friends in business, um, you know, who've been able to, you know, achieve, some of them achieve great wealth, great wealth that they can, you know, you know, bring back into the community uh, and that, you know, and help the community, you know, progress, etc. You know, to me, that's, that's, you know, democratic democracy and capitalism put together. Those are, you know, the fundamental values of smaller government that comes with conservatism. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's not ideology that's, you know, based on just reading the, you know, uh, great philosophers and great sociologists. It's also ideology that comes from personal experience and the benefits that I've been able to achieve in you know with 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 in my own in my own life, right? So in, you know in that context, again, you know um, there's there's you know every, to me there's every reason why you know uh, you know yesterday I was you know I was a loyal conservative. Today I'm a loyal conservative, and you know and tomorrow I'll be a loyal a loyal member of the Conservative Party of Canada. But you know sometimes uh, sometimes in the synagogue we uh the elbows get raised <laughs> and it gets a little muscular but you know can i tell you can I tell you that's the beauty of democracy too and that's part of the democratic process and you know i mean if and if i'm and if i'm gonna jab you know send a jab to the other parties you know um you know uh, judy wilson raybould or anime paul don't have voices in their own eco- in their own party parties today and in, in their own ecosystem they just don't you know and so i hope to have a voice in my party today and tomorrow but but clearly um there is a great difficulty in the representation of minorities who just don't want to you know fall into token right right but right, it's right, uh, right. but 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 that's that's a but that's a reality in my view uh, it's a bigger problem amongst the the liberals and and the new democrats and the greens if i can send send a jab out there you know when i ran i lost you know my my campaign had the you know my campaign in york center our campaign 
had the best results for the Conservative Party of Canada in the four, in the four one six. Okay. We did very very well, much better than every much better than every other uh, uh, other candidacy in other in other writings in the four one six. Our numbers, you know, we usually do well in the nine oh five. Our numbers were numbers that you know were similar to nine oh five. But I wanted to win, of course. I came shy, but you know, it was my dream to yeah. win. And and in my you know in my prepared little victory speech, I wanted to pay tribute to Anime Paul, right? Because I felt that she had gone through so much, so much pain. You know, for so really, you know, not willing, not willing, you know, not willing to kowtow to anti-Semitism, yes. to BDS. You know, yes. I mean, I really felt like she, she, she held our community on her shoulders. You she know? did. Um, she did. And and so so horribly treated by her party right you know what i mean and so isolated and so alone you know broke my heart so i mean had i had i won had i been able to give a victory speech you know i would have paid absolute tribute to her because but you did it here you know you did I, it here i've rarely seen, I've rarely seen in public affairs uh some a person of, of such integrity and of such courage you know not not that i agree with you know not that we share political you ideologies have, yeah but you be, you have you know, to green. respect but you have to respect what she went through and how she handled it. You have to oh. respect that. Oh. And I, and I, oh my. In, oh yeah. My and in like um, mm. meetings that I was in related to politics, it did come up, mm. you know, that people mm. across party lines were saying we need to support mm. her. And we need to recognize the anti-Semitism mm. that she is experiencing. Regardless of where you stand politically, she is one of us. She she held up, she held up against you know forces of anti-Semitism that were incredible and virulent, um, and and at the same time, and it's such it, it's such this is so interesting sociologically because when we people of color, racialized Canadians, are attacked, we're attacked very often in the most racist and the most horrible ways, right? You know, right. So 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 we're attacked in 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 the most unfair way on the one hand, but on the other hand here she is defending the greater jewish community absolutely and and so you know so so it's it, it's almost it's almost the, you know it's the idea of it's almost you know is is this a fair analogy to say it's like the soldier being on the war front with no shield no bulletproof vest no ammunition and no weapon taking all no, the No I shots, think that's kind of perfect right? I think that's kind you know, of perfect mm-hmm. Yeah I, don't know if that's a fair analogy, but but then you but then that's why you also pay tribute to that level of courage, right? Yes. Um, you know, and 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 you also have to, I think, be very upset with the political class and the media class, you know, not to pick up on that and not to defend her the way she needed to be defended. You know, she I felt, to be. Uh, I, I, you know, it was, it, you know, it felt to me that she was very alone in in having to she carry was. all of this. You know, and I and. and there was not enough in terms of public affairs. There was not enough voices, you know. Absolutely. Um, I feel, you know, I might be, I might be wrong. Sometimes, you know, no, you know, no, the, no, the, no, you know, institutional support, you know, and it's not echoed in the media, so you don't know. But it just felt to me, in terms of how this all went down, absolutely. That, uh, well, you know, here she is. Joel, here she is, all taking taking all the bullets. Absolutely. No I attended the. Mm-hmm. Um, Summit on anti-Semitism, which I recognize was a partisan event. Okay, whatever. But they pulled people, asked people from the Jewish community to attend, regardless of our political affiliation. And one of the things that I found disappointed, which one person did raise, um, 
He actually helped you on your campaign, and why did his name slip my mind? Um, anyways, regardless, he did raise it, but and it was an important point. The point was, why was she not invited? Here we are talking about anti-Semitism, and a political leader had suffered intense anti-Semitism, and she is not here? It was, it actually said, spoke volumes to me. It spoke volumes to me, the lack of her presence. And I'll leave that at that. There, there's, there's so much work to, you know, internally, there's so much work that still needs to be done at the institutional levels uh, of our community infrastructure. I um, Recently, I was invited to come in, you know, there was a, a teacher symposium where they wanted to, uh, in, in, the, in the Jewish day school system, and they wanted to speak, they wanted speakers to come and speak about diversity. And, you know, I mean, I would have been very happy to address tons of issues uh, that relate to experiences uh, uh, that you know, racialized Jewish Canadians are, are facing, and and within 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 our institutions. And they told me, you know, like, I mean, and, and you know, the mindset was, no, Joel, we just want to acknowledge that there is diversity in the Jewish community. That's all we're going to talk about. I'm like, what? You know, <laughs> but like for real? Know, that's that's a 30 year old. Yeah, no, for real. And so I declined participation because, again, I, you know, for me that was an exercise in tokenism, right? You know, to 100%. say, oh, well, in the Jewish, yeah, we brought no, our black. We're here to yeah. talk about black Jews. <laughs> <laughs> we have Ethiopian Jews, we have Temanini, we have Yemenite, we have North African, we have, yeah. you know, Ashkenazi, you know, Northern European, uh, Russian. Like, like, really? You know, Seriously. you don't think the kids know that already? And, yeah. and this was a symposium for teacher training, right? No, 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 um, no, 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 so, no, 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 well, no. You know, no. I'm like, I'm like, thanks, thanks, but no thanks, right? Thanks, you but know, no thanks is just, right. You know, and they're going to be the ones who will later say, well, I, I don't understand why we didn't, you know, and it's like, seriously, do you hear the words coming out of your mouth? It's like, do you hear the words coming out of your mouth? If that's what you wanted to talk about, here's a book. Here's a book. Assign it to the class. Assign it to the teachers. Read the book and come back. <laughs> you know? You, or do you want... That no, is the... Because, because, no, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. No, no. I'm gonna say, no, right. I was going to say that that's the, that's the reluctance to get to the root of it. And just do this surface stuff where you can pat yourself on the back and say, and say you addressed diversity it's like no you didn't no you didn't you just read a book you know and uh and and you know i mean the the the, the problems in the jewish community for racialized jews are the same problems as as as, as non-racialized jews if you will because i mean by the way i mean you know you know, if if you ask if you if you would ask my grandparents if they were white, they would have told you my maternal grandparents they would have told you no. They faced the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. They they you exactly. Know, they they they're, you know they, they felt just as they felt just as racialized. But so you know, I, it's sociologically, it's probably not fair to say racialized versus non-racialized. But we understand each other. What we're trying to you know communicate in the, in the conversation. Right. But but the problems but the problems that we face are the same as everybody else. Insofar as you know, you have an attrition rate of around 50 percent we you know i mean here we are uh, you know uh, uh, an, a, a, a nation um that is five thousand years old that has thousands of years of wisdom and of history and of culture to contribute to the world i think you know for me you know and this is me, me perhaps wearing the immigration lawyer hat uh, i've seen so many beautiful nuances in in all the cultures and all the races and all the religions of the world right and you know i think i i 
you know, I think the beauty of the Jewish voice is one that is important for greater society, for the rest of the world to 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 also be able to benefit from the from the Jewish treasure. Just like we should benefit from the treasures that Falun Gong practitioners have to bring, or you know, or or the the you know the uh, the uh, the Brazilians have to bring, like, you know. Right. But 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 we 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 need we, it's important for all of us to have a voice in that world. And when you have on you know to be part of that global voice, and then when you have um you know, nutrition rate of 50%, um, you know, that's also reality for, for our children. And, um, you know, ma- making sure that they that they live in an ecosystem where they can find their comfort in living a Jewish life uh, as a go forward, um, you know, for my children and for my grandchildren is critical uh, at a time of great, you know, of, at a time where, you know, and, and I've seen it as a small town Jew. You know, when I was a kid, the, the, the Halifax community, Community was the big community in Atlantic Canada, right? Shul, you know, shul on Shabbat, where there's a conservative shul and a, there's a conservative shul and an orthodox shul. So, uh, you know, I mean, there would have never been an issue about having a minion on Shabbat. There would have never been a problem about having, you know, a proper minion, um, you know, in either of the shuls uh, during the high holidays, right? And you see how it's in the smaller communities that you see what that 50% attrition rate actually means, right? Uh-huh. Of yeah. people, you know, no longer participating. Where you see these buildings that are, you know, that were built with the blood and sweat and tears of people who were oppressed and who still managed to crimp and put some, you know, uh, some wealth together and and gave it back in in, in, the, in the kindest ways. And then you, you know, and then you have empty buildings, you know, uh, right. you know, two generations in, right? Where Later, that, yeah. right? And and so and so the, you know, I see I see two I see two things in, in in this discussion. I see the critical nature of making sure that the ecosystem is one that is healthy for you know uh, just as healthy for uh, folks who've been here for five generations as it is for racialized Jewish Canadians as it is for Israeli Canadians. You know, there's a big attrition rate in the Israeli Jewish community, by the way. You yes. know. Yes, um, I uh, higher numbers, higher numbers, uh, higher numbers than other number than other aspects of our community, and I see this as critical because you know, um, you know, having a healthy Canadian Jew- Jewish jury is not just important for Canadian jury and for our children, and grandchildren. It's important for the rest of the planet. It's important, you know. It helps. It helps. Canada is a member of NATO. You know, Canada is a G20 country. You want to have a healthy Jewish community in Canada. You you can't have a Jewish world that is just New York and Tel Aviv, right? That's not right. going to be health, you know, for the future, right? So, and and you and you need to have healthy Jewish voices in 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 London, in Paris, you know, in Toronto. And if you if we're not preoccupied, at, you know, in in having you know you know healthy ecosystems, uh, reform, conservative, orthodox, ultra orthodox, you know, it, it doesn't matter to me, you know. But healthy Jewish ecosystems, then yes. you know we're we're facing some serious problems. By the way, I should tell you just a segue. I have a good friend of mine who's Zoroastrian. Okay. Have you heard of the Zoroastrians? Yes, I have. Zoro- the Zoroastrians are an they're, they're an ancient uh, uh, monotheistic faith, and their faith is two thousand years older than Judaism. Yeah. And my friend is one of the is probably part of the last generation of Zoroastrians. Wow. There will probably be no be no Zoroastrians left a generation from now. Right. 
you know, as as from you know my my friend and his friends, you know, telling me. And you have a it's a community with great wealth, by the way, it's a great institutional wealth. But but they need people. They don't have the people. And I think you know when when you're involved in public affairs and in Jewish public affairs, what we need to worry about is yes, you know, the funding for next year, uh, BDS, anti-Semitism on campus, all the tons of issues. But we have also a greater responsibility to be cognizant of what the next 50 years or 100 years are going to look like for 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 our community. Um, and that's a we 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 have a serious responsibility on our shoulders. Do you, do you know that demographically? Somebody said something interesting to me. Like I haven't verified it, but in terms of numbers, while most communities in the world, most demographics in the world have been able to post World War II were able to flourish and have much larger numbers than the numbers of people they had pre World War II. So notwithstanding the the deaths and the trauma of World War II, they've been able to transcend that. I think our 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 numbers in the Jewish community are still below or at the same level that they were before the Second World War. That's frightening. Okay, so because that's like we don't want to be there's a lot of well, I'm, you know, I mean, it would be, it would be to the world, you know, you look at our contributions where, you know, the, the, like these little Monctonians who punch beyond, you know, be, you know, above their weight class, right, yeah. you know, in, 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 in Nobel, uh, Nobel prizes and in scientific discoveries and look yes. at Israel in high tech and everything that Israel has been able, you know, been, been able to do, especially over the last 40 years. It's just, it's just you know, miracle after miracle after miracle. And you're saying, does the world not benefit from our presence? You know, don't we have something to contribute to the world, right? Of course, and we, I believe, we know that. You know, if, you, if you're Jewish in your side, it's to do. You know, you look, you look, and by the way, you know, the, the issue of diversity in multiculturalism and Judaism is nothing new. You, you know, you know that, you know that, you know, I, I, in in at the turn of the at the turn of the century 1905 1910 1915 great periods of nationalism right mm-hmm. and you would read you know nationalist writer after nationalist writer whether you know Gary you know uh, german thinkers italian thinkers and and what was the premise right the premise was our nation is you know is fantastic it's the best it should be the you know the ruling nations of the world because we have these immutable qualities etc cetera, etc cetera. our blood is better blood etc you know that was that was you know the ethnic nationalism of Europe, right? Mm-hmm. And and you read Aldoland of Herzl again. If it was 1908, 1910 that it, that he wrote this novel, but Herzl was writing of a country that would have gender equality, racial equality. I mean, he was his his utopian vision of nationalism was multi-ethnic. It was multicultural at a time when nobody on the yeah. planet was thinking that. Nope, mm-hmm. that's impressive. That's impressive. So so, so it's not you. What no. you know the the voice the voice that we're espousing. Is a Herzl, it's a Herzlian voice. I have learned so much from you. Hmm. I'm actually jotting that down because I am going to, because I, I didn't think, I didn't know that aspect of Herzl. You know, when we think of Herzl, we think of Herzl, Zionist movement. Well, that's it. Because most, you've got, mostly, right? You've got, the, you've got the, yeah, you've got the canards of the anti-Semites, right? And, uh, and, 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 and those who hate Zionism and hate Jews, right? Who, mm-hmm. who try to paint it as ethnic nationalism. Yeah. Herzl, the last thing he was thinking about was ethnic, ethnic national. I mean, exactly. he, it was in writing, and he built, and, and it wasn't in hiding. You know, it was you know the novel, 
in writing, public, and he, he brought masses of our people to this vision, into this ideology that eventually created a country based on that. There you go. Based on multiculturalism. You think, oh, you know, I mean, 1982, the Charter of Rights, and you think, oh, you know, uh, 1960s, Canadian multiculturalism, etc. Nothing new. Thank you very much. I mean, I think yeah. that's, the, that, that's, that's the only way for the world to become a world of peace and harmony amongst the nations. No doubt about it. But, you know, I'm proud to say that in that voice, in that public affairs, public voice, we were the first at the table. Yeah, clearly. Well, thank you. Yeah. Before we conclude, though. Oh, thank you. I need to ask you. Okay, so it's not as heavy as what we've been talking about, but maybe it is. I don't know. Tell me about the rabbi's daughter. Oh, well, it's the rabbi's daughters, by the way. Daughters. Um, oh, yeah. You I've know, been, I'm missing my S you know, on the end. Sorry. Daughters. <laughs> And, and and the plurality of it is important. I'll give you the narrative premise. You have uh, the leader of the Orthodox, uh, Orthodox Jewish community, Rabbi, and his and his wife, uh, who need, who want to have a, a Passover amongst family um, because um, the, the the Rabbi's wife is dying of cancer. And uh, a decade and a half passed. She their their daughter left Orthodox Judaism, married uh, interracially, and now the the family has decided that they want to have one last with both you know both daughters and the spouses together at the same table and so that's the narrative premise orthodox and non-orthodox multicultural and non you know diverse and non-diverse uh you know everybody speaking truth to each other at the table um the religious perspective the non-religious perspective the multicultural perspective the more ethnic nationalist perspective if you will and it's all there in one sitting uh, you know under under one passover dinner um wow. and you know yeah. Oh, yeah. And look, I mean, I wrote, I wrote, I wrote the screenplay, and I wrote it in response to what I see as a lot of tokenism and and the depiction of Jewish life uh, in the in, you know in in film and television. Because what it, it, it film and television just does, in my view, two things in terms of Jewish, especially Jewish Orthodox life. It either paints Jewish Orthodox life as a as a horrendous life where people are you know shackled and they don't mm-hmm. have, they have no ability to self actualize. And then you've got the religious Jewish person who leaves Orthodox Judaism and then finds now a, a forum for self-actualization and, you know, giving a utopic vision of modern secular life that I think is not realistic either. Uh, you know, modern secular life full of challenges, especially for women, right? And, you know, yeah. for people, people of color as well, you know, yeah. it's, it's not it's it's not the panacea that it, you know, that it, that it claims to be. So that's one vision of of movies and television that 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 for that that. Uh, showcases Jewish life nowadays. And the other vision is the opposite, right? Completely opposite, which is, you know, that that Jewish uh, traditional life, Orthodox life is perfect, you know? And so you've got the other, it's the other way around. You've got a person living in the in the secular world who, you know, needs to find the oasis in the desert and then finds Orthodox Judaism and life is perfect. And 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 I've spent a lo- enough time in my life in all communities amongst all, all, all the peoples of the planet to know that, you know, ecosystems and sociological structures are what they are and none of them are really perfect and there's truth right. to be told in, in every forum and that's what I try to do in the Rabbi's Daughters uh, they tell each other's truth it's not always easy for each other for, for, each, for the characters to hear it um, but I think you know my goal and I hope the audience once they've, they've, they've seen the movie will see that what was said was honest right okay. and truthful um, and that's my goal yeah so when can we because you said just this past couple few months ago you finished directing well, I just, it when I is just, it 
I just finished directing it in January, so we're still in post production. Post production, okay. <laughs> so speed it up. <laughs> as soon as I've got a release date, I'll let you know. But uh, please, I'm still in the, you, the you need to. Bones you need it, to. You know? Yeah. yeah. Because I'm already thinking premiere. I'm already I'm already out there already thinking about. Hmm. <laughs> you know, a little nepotism for you. You you've got front row seats, so you don't have to worry. Okay. I'll absolutely get okay. You some tickets. Let, you know, let's take sure. that nepotism a little further for your next um, project, and I need to be in it. <laughs> hey, hey, very happy, very happy. I'll be a silent extra. Drinking coffee somewhere. I, I'll do a walk by on the street. If, if you want to say some lines, not a problem. You know, we can okay. we can organize that. That's for sure. <laughs> okay. Well, on that note, as I now envision my career as a superstar, I'm just joking. <laughs> but on that note, I want to thank you. I want to thank you so much, Joel. Uh, you have enlightened me. I have taken notes because I need to do some homework. You gave a, a different perspective on my hometown. And mm. I'm so happy to have had this conversation with you. So again, thank you. And we will touch base 100%. Thank, thank you so much. It's been an honor. Thanks for listening to Rivkush. Our producer is Michael Freeman. Music by Westside Gravy and I am Rivkush. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can hear more at the cjn.ca slash Rivkush and support us by subscribing. If you want to support the CJN, join the CJN Circle. You get quarterly magazines, invitations to live events, and a weekly printable edition. Learn more at the cjn.ca slash circle. Thanks for listening. This episode has been brought to you by Looking Back, Moving Forward, 160 Years of Jewish Life in B.C. Published by the Jewish Museum and Archives of British Columbia for their 50th anniversary, this elegant volume is a once-in-a-generation collection of Jewish life and history throughout the province. Order your copy today at jewishmuseum.ca.